The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Thanks for hanging out. Welcome to it. Thursday editions here. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark. Loaded up today. We'll spend time with Brandon Vogel. Hale Varsity .com and Magazine will check in with Coach Gary Barnett. Jeremiah Searles will talk Husker offense with us in Hour 2. You're set to join us, if you like. Some different ways to do that. You can find us, of course, on the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Uh, do that, Hale Varsity YouTube. Look that up and save it. Subscribe to it. Also, the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio. Give that follow and make it happen there. 489-1240, the numbers to get in. Also, toll-free across the state where you hear us, one 800 825 5865. Can email Chris at alevarsity.com. Find Elijah on Twitter at Herbal Essence. Find Connor Clark on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27. Can find me on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio. Guys, we'll get into some gambling trends that are there. Some pretty favorable numbers when you look at Matt Rule and his time in college. And uh, also a good story from Mitch Sherman. Uh, when it comes to the uh, just where Nebraska's at, where they need to be with the offensive line, a little deeper dive into the O-line. But the theme today is, well, fighting. What did you make of what you saw from Nebraska's future opponent? Week two, some of you are invading Boulder. If you do, get to Blur. We'll be there at Blur uh, as uh, the scene will be sent for that early morning kickoff. Uh, if you're a, a red beer guy, a Bloody Mary guy, a screwdriver guy, or dare I say an orange beer guy, uh, you will be hydrated with blur before kickoff at 10 a.m. local time in Boulder. There's my spiel there. Uh, and you can have uh, some uh, prime rib and salmon with us with Gary Michaels and Estes. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> but fighting. And what do you think of this? Let's play the clip. It's the clip heard round college football the last 24 hours. Uh-oh. Colorado had a bit of a scuffle on some goal line drills. We'll ask Gary Barnett about it in an hour. But here's Coach Prime losing his mind. I seen two of y'all walking off over there. And you got to keep teammate fighting. What they do there? Nowhere. Nowhere. Not what they do there? Not here. Nowhere. In one fight, we all fight. You understand that? I don't want to see y'all walking off with somebody's fight. Yes, sir. Never again. Okay, I, I like having your teammates back. I have a problem with a guy who never tackled anybody in the NFL <laughs> yelling at people about being physical. I kind of kid. I, I don't doubt Dion's greatness. I really, truly don't. It was as good as it gets at corner in the NFL and at Florida State. But just lo- let Letting them lose their mind, it almost seemed, dare I say, staged. It wasn't. It was It was an actual goal line, and you had some shoves by the big people at that second and third level. Uh, we know defensive backs don't like getting shoved around by offensive linemen. 
And defensive backs are more typical to yap. Yeah. But hey, I, <laughs> there I, it is. I, there I, it is. I, I, I know we're I know we're we're talking about the buffs and not Nebraska right now to lead off. But what was your what would your policy be? Let them throw down. Let them go at it. Uh, allegedly, I mean, if you had a problem, it was like Yellowstone. Uh, you you got to fight Rip to uh, to fight, and that was never a winning deal uh, until Rip lost on purpose to to one of John Dutton's kids. But I I you know that's an aside. I don't know how tough this Buff team's going to be. I don't know how tough this team is if they're built on skill and speed and talent. First things first, it's Minnesota, clearly. And I think they're going to be real tough just because they've always been. But I don't know. What did you think of Dion? What was your reaction? I thought it was impassioned, and I thought it was good for him to say, look, you got to have your teammates back. But, dude, he's bringing in a bunch of uh, Louis. They're all about they're all about they're all about me, not we, and I think that's going to be a problem with him, possibly, uh, at this this level of college football. Well, I read this as a, a first off season culture type thing. Hey, I'm going to instill in my guys. You're going to have your teammates back in all cases, whether that's a fight on the field, whether that's another guy trying to to take a cheap shot at him, whether that's off the field completely. And uh, you know what? Your teammate needs help studying for some final. You're going to go help him out there. You're going to help him You're out. You're going to go cases. get that answer key. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I see this as going and setting the culture, and I don't know. I, I feel like there's some concern if you're three years into a, a rebuild in your coach prime, and you're saying, "Hey guys, if we're going to have a fight in practice, I want my entire team to be involved in that scuffle." That's a little different, but in year one, I can understand why pra- a coach practice eight or fifteen. Well, yeah, yeah and, that, and in that case, I can understand why a coach is sitting here saying, "Hey, guys, it's about building a culture and building our team right now." If your teammate's going to get in a fight, I want you to go back up your fellow offensive lineman. I want you to go back up your fellow defensive back. Let's build some chemistry. Let's build some culture here. And, and as you kind of alluded to with the toughness leading off, we're going to build a, a tough team here that's not willing to back down from a fight. You know, if there's a fight on the practice field, we're going to get involved. I wonder if that you're tune all family, changes. though. I wonder if the tune changes in year three or year four of fall camp. That's what I wonder here. People have, you know what, bemoaned Coach Prime always encouraging fighting at practice. I don't think it's that at all. No. I, and I'm not a, the biggest Coach Prime defender out there, but I think he knows his stuff when it comes to football. And I think he knows, hey, part of that that team environment that you want to build within the team is having your teammates back in a fight, or in any case, you're, you're going to have your teammates back, and I think that's what he's trying to build. Here. He has he has their, their back when it comes to chasing that bag. He gets that it's about money and bettering themselves. He gets that, and in, in, uh, uh, Kyle uh, chimes in here on the stream, you're welcome to do it. All the guys have their Twitter handle on the back of their jersey, and that's about self-promotion, and Dion was all about you know, prime that that persona that would hit a home run one week and score a touchdown on an interception return or a punt return in the same week. So he is uh, he is about excellence with what he was able to do. Never as good a baseball player as Bo Jackson, but was on some of those really good Braves teams, and uh, I know uh, kept getting paid every free agent deal with as many major league teams as he spent with between the Giants and Reds and Braves and Yankees and go down the list. So wanted to start things off there with with Prime. We'll, we'll talk to Coach Barnett and Searles about fighting during this time of year. And, and that's the one thing. I mean, Nebraska's legendary teams. We talked to Grant Wistrom earlier this week. We've talked to Dr. Rob Zadiska. 
quite a few times over the years. The pipeline guys took nothing off anybody. And you've heard references to the magical pit uh, of yesteryear at Nebraska where a lot of things went on and you got your differences settled there. And then you were able to leave it there. That's the thing. You can let out some frustrations and then move on from it. That's the, the key to it. So we'll see if this helps Colorado uh, for TCU, hurts Colorado for TCU and beyond. I just think they're problematic on the lines of scrimmage, and uh, it's going to be a, a really rude season that way. And I think this is part of that. This this reaction here from Prime is like, hey, you guys got to be willing to fight. <laughs> And this might be an extreme example whenever you're fighting your teammates in fall camp. But you know what? When the emotions start running high in fall camp, you're beating heads with the same guy day after right. day after day after day. And you get tired of some of the stuff he's going to be pulling at practice. So if you're going to fight, hey, let's have a team that's going to be willing to fight as opposed to a team that's going to get their asses kicked. Look, I mean, at the, uh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's football. And it happens like literally every single year. We see this obviously more in the NFL side, but it's, it's football. I mean, at you, the you'll end see of the day, this with every team around oh, the country. Oh, yeah. And I... Honestly, I mean, the only reason why this is a big deal <clears throat> is because there was, you know, cameras around, right? I mean, you're in a, a in a fight. There's always cameras around with Prime. Yes, and you, you're in a fight in practice against a teammate, and I think the message is, hey, you know, even if it's against your own teammate, you got to have your teammates back, and I think the most important part there is, too, is like, still having, I guess, the respect, like not losing that, right? Because at the end of the day, I mean, you preach as a football coach, it, it's it's a band of brothers that, that is makes up the football team, right? So, yeah, you're going to have your disagreements. Yeah, you're going to go at each other on the football field. That's fine. I mean, that's just a part of football. I really don't see this hurting Colorado, honestly, at all. I mean, I think this honestly just helps them. I mean, you instill that culture of, hey, if somebody gets into a scuffle, we all get into a scuffle. If that's against our own team, if that's against somebody else, I mean, I think that's that's okay to preach. Um, Who's I mean, walking away? Who's running from that is my question. Because you've got to be able to overcome that uh, on on the team with your team leaders and your, your coach. You, right. can't, you, can, you can make a mistake early in your career, but you can't ever do it again. If it's a consistent thing, obviously, th- then you have a problem. But like, I I don't I don't really see how this is that huge of a deal. Honestly, well, well, what's, what's weird to me is just the fact that the social media team of Colorado is going out there and promoting this message. Like, I guarantee there's been at least one fight, if not multiple, down at fall camp with Nebraska. As I said, it's what happens whenever you're yeah. you're beaten up it's on the football. same dude day after day after day. You're waiting for somebody else in a different colored jersey to, to play against, and you're getting frustrated with the guy across from you because, hey, it's been 13 straight days of banging heads with this dude. <laughs> so I think it's probably happened at Nebraska, but Nebraska hasn't gone out and publicized those moments on social media. That's what stands out to me about this with Colorado is they've gone out and publicized this moment with They're their not social hard to media. Find. They aren't, but it's that's what they are. They've got to inflate, and this has been on all the, the morning sports hits. I know we're talking about it as well, but the reason we're hitting on it is because they're, they're an opponent in, in, in three weeks. Matthew chimes in. His son, Dion's son, was the one recording the uh, close-up of this from what I heard. So what was he doing? Well, there's his, his one of his sons is a quarterback. Mm-hmm. One of his sons is the uh, social media director. Ah. So that's, that's 
why he's not currently a, a player. One of his kids <laughs> the, played the for The social media manager just goes and throwing haymakers right. out of nowhere. Right, I mean, he just comes in uh, from, <laughs> you know, like he's the ultimate warrior, and yeah. it's, and it's uh, an attack from behind. The son being the social media manager, though, is that not kind of stink of nepotism a little bit? He's not hard to find. Pretty Elijah. good at it. I mean, he got a documentary thing, and their documentary they filmed was pretty good. And I guess how many times has Colorado gone viral this offseason? It's probably three or four times now. So, yeah, I guess he's pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. It's it's not nepotism like Iowa. Let's dive into some early— Somebody changes the topic immediately. Love that. No, we can can talk about baby ferrets. (laughs) We'll we'll save that for the end of the year. Yeah, that's a November problem. That's a—yeah, well, you know, it, it is a November problem. And uh, their defense has been good at scoring, I don't know, 13 points a game. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk coverage and betting and CBS out with teams that are pretty phenomenal. For the last 10 years, when we talk about trends to consider for college football, since 2014, the last you know 10 seasons, Bama has been favored 123 times. They are the number one team in college football. Their record is a favorite 112 and 11. Okay? And as from a cover rate, 53% of the time they cover. Clemson in at two. Georgia and Oklahoma tied uh, for the most times and their record as a favorite. OU below 50% when it comes to their cover rate. I get into this because you you look down the list the last ten years of of the ladder you got to climb to be in that upper echelon of the Big Ten. Ohio State in at five, their record is a favorite ninety eight and nine, with a fifty almost a fifty one percent cover rate. Wisconsin at seventy seven and twenty one, mm. their cover rate at five ten. Michigan sneaks into the top ten at seventy six and fifteen with a cover rate of almost 54%. I'm surprised Wisconsin is that high. Same here, because they've they've had some really good seasons, but they've also had their typical 9-4, and four, but most of those are three-and-a-half-point ball games against right. the Iowas of the world or the Minnesotas of the world. But your most successful uh, team is underdog. A minimal of 30 games is an underdog. Look who, looky who comes in here in that 10-year window. Uh, Baylor, your top underdog team mm. at 28-14-1. and one. Mm. Uh, they are Is that 28-14-1 in terms of covering or outright? That's, that's in terms of, of covering. Okay. okay. So they're at a 60, almost 67%. That falls under the Matt Rule era. Uh, when it comes to uh, also successful cover rates, Temple chimes in. At uh, number three at 29 and 20, almost a 60% cover rate within that 10-year window. So what I'm getting at here math-wise is the the reality of of Matt Rule in his time as a coach. They they punch above their weight. I think Nebraska's going to be underdogged probably eight of their 12 regular season games. I think, that's, I think that's fair. Is that, is, is that a number that you're both comfortable with? Well, whenever you look at the Vegas line at six, I think it's going to be they're going to be favored in six and they're going to be underdogged in six. Okay. You think they'll actually be favored in six? I think so. Northwestern, Colorado. Two non-con. The two non-cons is four. Plus, I look at Michigan State. You think they'll be favored at Sparty? It depends how the season it's goes. It's in but East Lansing. The, the, the very early line is that Nebraska is like a three-point favorite in East Lansing. 
I'm not saying they can't win outright or even cover a number. I just don't see them as a favorite. If, if, if you're asking them as right a now, right, yeah. right now, what Purdue maybe because they're at home. Purdue, you should yeah, be in Illinois. Maybe. You're probably a slight underdog. Northwestern, you're a favorite. Absolutely. Purdue, Northwestern, Colorado, Louisiana Tech, Northern Illinois. I'll throw Michigan State in there and make it six. I, I disagree on Sparty, but again, we're talking in August. Yes. November's yes. a long, long ways away. But just something to think about with with Matt Rule and his history at Baylor and at Temple. In that 10-year window, you see Temple and Baylor both show up as teams that not only play well but can cover. Cover the number, uh, and uh, that's that's worth something. Brandon Vogel. We'll check in with us next to Tale Varsity presented by Currency. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tale Varsity Radio presented by Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark. We welcome in Brandon Vogel in that football office at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. Really enjoy Patrick's observation today. Very nice of him. He says, so it's a hat day today, Chris. <laughs> yes, it is a hat day in lieu of the uh, <clears throat> the Floby experiment yesterday. It's not that bad a haircut. I need to just do what Vogue's does and just go aerodynamic. Vogue's needs just a red track suit, and he's looking like KGB from the movie Rounders. Vogue's, it is good to see you. It's football season. Thanks for a few minutes today. Thanks for having me. Uh, <clears throat> can't recommend the... The approach enough. I, I I don't have much choice, and I haven't for for a long time. So this is kind of the best that I can do. But it is it is efficient. So it it, it is absolutely. We're all about efficiency come football season. <laughs> especially especially that you know this was the sort of thing. Like now's your time, Schmitty. You're thinking about shaved head. You know, Can't, I have a I lot of a lot of a lot of examples out out there of guys going shaved head for two days uh-huh. uh, for for preseason camp. Like this is your time. Show unity. But I think I think Elijah and Connor have to go there too. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Um, just be like this is this is the team the team look. <laughs> well, then to be vain again for two days in a row. The I I have very few features that I'm a I'm proud of. <laughs> Voice is one, hair is another, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's what I run with. You, men- you mentioned Team Vogues, and I want to go there for a moment. You put a tweet out, Hale Varsity put a tweet out today with the magazine, the uh, final issue, and I don't want to get you emotional or uh, weird, but I want to say thank you with the work, talent, and incredible camaraderie that... Um, you've shown and uh, just now flat out magic you and Aaron and uh, Brady are and, and will continue to be. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. Um, I'll, I'll try to not get emotional as well, but you know, we got 11, 11 years to, to put together a print magazine. Um, this August issue, unfortunately uh, was our last one. I think people who, who follow media know that the, the landscape the landscape out there wasn't easy when we started in 2012 and it's it by no means no means got easier um but i would say thank you to anybody who has ever and certainly is currently a, a subscriber to to hail varsity you know we we really believed in print 
and putting out a monthly magazine that could be something a little bit outside of, you know, so much happens on Twitter or whatever X, I'm sorry, now, um, <laughs> or whatever other social media platform you see. Like, that's that's where you get the news. But even in 2012, like, Hale Varsity was never intended to be that because we have to we have to print a physical product. And, you know, there's... <clears throat> I feel very, very fortunate to have worked with the team throughout that entire process. We've had people who were there from the very first issue. We've had people who have come and gone. Um, and we've had new people who were very much committed to to that process. And it was it was very fun and rewarding professionally to get to do that for as long as we did. Wish we had longer. Uh, feels like a... Uh, feels like an exciting time for Nebraska athletics, regardless of whatever's happening to Hale Varsity, the magazine, the actual printer product. Like it, it, it does feel like an exciting time for Nebraska athletics. And it, it, it hurts probably more than anything to know that, well, whatever it is, whatever's to come, uh, unfortunately we're not going to have pages to print, uh, kind of covering that or capturing that to whatever degree we could. Folks, well, well said. You're very well, well, said. well said. And the magazine will be missed, Brandon. And, and tell me, through 11 years of hard work for, for you and the entire team, do you have any memories of making this magazine? Any e-true Hollywood stories that stand out in your memory of, uh, of things you won't forget from the magazine? Ah, uh, yes. The uh, A.J. Benda. Uh, imagine the voice going. I mean, uh, a, a lot of them. I mean, there are two that, that kind of jump out to mind immediately. You know, in our March of 2020 issue, like at the time that the, the whole thing was shaken down about COVID and hey, what's going to happen? Basically, the weekend that they uh, canceled the NCAA tournament, which from a sports perspective was the moment that I knew, like, okay, this is this is a, a big big deal. Um, you know, we basically had that issue done, and we had probably maybe twenty four hours to like flip it and turn it around uh came up with a cover concept that i still really like to this day and i'm not the kind of person who like <laughs> tends to look back on things and be like oh yeah you nailed it you got it and i'm not saying we nailed it or got it but i'm still proud of that cover you know two almost three years on um so that, that was a big moment there was another i'm forgetting the year but Another year where we did a state of Husker Nation poll around the spring game, we took photos of fans, and you know this is all happening on Saturday, and we go to print on on Monday morning. Um, and I remember going back to our offices in downtown Lincoln, like we had our full team there. And it was just it was just a really fun night. Like we ended up smoking cigars at the end of the night, which <laughs> you know that's always that's always a good sign. Um, but like worked really hard until like two or three in the morning of like, Hey, we've got all these amazing photos. Like we've got to write a story kind of encapsulating like this spring, this spring game and what it all means. And, and those are the things with print that sure, like can seem a little bit outdated, but those are the, the memories. Like a lot of my memories, like the ones that will really, really last. And I have plenty are, um, come down to deadlines, like deadlines and limits. I think as I get older, uh, become pretty important in the grand scheme of things. It's like, here's what you got to work with. What are you going to do? And you got to figure that out. 
on a on a monthly basis uh, for for a print publication like we did. Brandon Vogel with us and at Brandon L Vogel on Twitter. Vogue, thank you for sharing your time and your expertise, your passion, brother, on on uh, Nebraska coverage. It uh, doesn't get any better uh, with uh, you and the team. Uh, when we're talking uh, about uh, trends and where sports is, I mean, you can't blink and there's not some sort of line uh, out there for, for gambling. Even in the state of Nebraska, it is legal to wager, just not when Nebraska's playing in Lincoln. But Elijah pulled some numbers uh, from, from Phil Steele, and I want to go here with you because you're a numbers guy as well. And just do, does it sway your outlook for this season when we talk about that six and six line to hit if you're Nebraska rules history when it comes to being an underdog with some some younger new teams and and some outright upsets and also well uh, great teams cover that old saying. Yeah, um, uh, I mean, I think being the underdog is a, a key piece of this. So a couple of things that I think we've like ventured into on, on previous shows, but we'll, we'll pull up here again. So back when Nebraska fired Scott Frost, like I kind of put out a, a post on, on hailvarsity.com of like, hey, here's every like, like maybe wild, maybe totally unrealistic, but um, – getting uh you know here's all the coaching candidates and i looked at them from two factors one from mcalee sports of like hey here's here's a model we built for this the other one was an an against the spread record because i do think that's valuable um not from a betting perspective of just like hey you, you basically make every game almost a coin flip and how do coaches do against that matt rule who was on that initial list had the third best record among the like 17 coaches that, that I wrote about for that. And his, his against the spread record was 0.610, which is remarkable. Like I think Vic Saban's probably at like 0.560 somewhere around there. Like, I mean, this is a sign that the spread works, right? If you can make Nick Saban, a guy who basically wins half his games, like, that's that's what it's designed to do, and and rule was far above that. The two guys who were he was behind were Chris Kleiman at Kansas State, mm-hmm. who only had three seasons at that point, and um, Kalani Sataki at BYU, who had a little bit longer stretch. But I think Kalani Sataki is is a guy who's really really valued in in coaching circles, and he's playing so, with thirty year olds. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Matt Rule was was there through his four seasons at Temple, his three seasons at Baylor. That's all we had to measure at that point. And it was just a guy where you could look at the against the spread record and be like, whatever the spread is, whether he's favored, whether he's an underdog, like they play better than that. And and, and that that really stood out. And, you know, the recent, the, the updated SP plus rankings came out. I like put all that stuff in my notebook, actually just this morning was looking at it. And like Nebraska's, based on the SP plus ratings, which are not like gospel or anything, but they're only favored in like four, maybe five games. So you're looking at a six and a half win total. At least that's what it was last I looked. I haven't seen what the markets have done to that. Like you got to go uphill a little bit. Um, 
And you really gotta you really gotta win those non-conference games um, because that's where Nebraska is favored. That's three of those games that they're favored in based on an SP plus or a similar power rating. So we'll see. I mean, we get one right out of the gate where you're gonna go to Minnesota. You're not gonna be the favorite. Like we'll see how big of an underdog you are, um, but we'll we'll learn something about Nebraska either way. And that rules against the spread record is is worth looking at if if you haven't already. And I just have the numbers in front of me here, Brandon. In 63 conference games, Matt Rule has covered in 43 of those games for a 68% cover rate. <laughs> and in true road games as a college coach, there's been 40 of them for Matt Rule. He has covered in 28 of those, a 70% cover rate. That's yeah, remarkable. I mean, any, like everything, I mean... And, and, you know, for a coach who's coached long enough, and I would say seven seasons for bat rule, like you're good. Like those, those are huge, huge numbers. They, they really are. And, and like, I understand as a fan, like at the end of the day, you just want to win the game, but we've had to do so much reading between the lines with Nebraska football over the past five, six, seven, eight years, however long that like people talk about it all the time. They just want to come out of the game and be like, the team played well, like, they put their they put everything out there and and that's what that number is really meant to measure so like yeah if you're a 22 point underdog against michigan and you lose by 13 it's still a loss like if that's all you care about then i get it like i i totally get that approach but that's playing well vogues i'm going to keep you a couple more minutes for some overtime got to talk turnovers and quarterbacks next sounds good Hail Varsity Radio is live. Now, back to Schmitty. Schmitty's a great guy, but he don't have a brain. And Elijah. You want me to speak? When I point you again. On Hail Varsity Radio. That wasn't very nice. Todd off the top rope. Everyone in the stream is mentioning that you yeah, have keep the hat on. That's what my wife said when I was leaving. Keep the hat on. Um... Nice to see old Herp Neck. Thank you, Todd, for that. Uh, we had another tough experience, Vogues, at the barbershop yesterday. And oh. <laughs> Vogues doesn't know what to say. He's just pausing. And uh, He heard old Herp Neck, and he doesn't know what yeah. to say. Like, uh, guys, I gotta Do go we check reference on. the comments from yesterday? I don't have any. any uh, Vogues doesn't have a dog, but he's. I got to go check on the dog, guys. We'll, we'll uh, <laughs> see it in a little bit. But Brandon Vogel with this incredible uh, issue with Hale Varsity Magazine, final issue. Please uh, get that. And it, black and white cover, fan, balloon. It is magic and incredible work uh, for so many years. Uh, add Brandon L. Vogel. On Twitter is where you can follow Vogues. So we were talking rule and covering numbers and what do you do and what do you do when you're kind of an out-talented underdog team and it's been detailed how well Coach Rule has gotten his teams to play. I know we touched on it when he was hired, but it comes into play here in two weeks and it comes into play a lot of this season, Vogues. And one thing that is an equalizer, unfortunately, if your defense can go get you the football, and that helps you out, Kleiman and all the work he did. K-State's uh, a premier team, I think, of with forcing turnovers, forcing mistakes, not really having things handed to them, but, but making their own breaks. Uh, Nebraska's going to need some of that this year. But also, just let's talk about the 
upside and then the reality of of the quarterback spot with dual threat quarterbacks and not just Sims, not just Nebraska, but that topic in general, it's live and die by the sword at times from a turnover standpoint. Yeah, it is. I mean, and as we've seen, you know, Nebraska has had sort of unwilling attrition, I guess, in in some cases. And and some of that's not permanent with the the wide receiver group, but that was a big big question mark coming in. Um, It hasn't gotten smaller over the practices we've seen so far with Nebraska due to entry and some and some departures. So it's like, hey, who are you going to count on to to catch the ball? Who's the guy where you're like, it's third and six, like what, you know, if this play breaks down, just throw it down there to to that person and and we'll be okay. Like, you know, that was Trey Palmer last year and uh, it was Samari Ture before that. And you go back a couple years beyond that, it was Stanley Morgan. And there, there, there's not that person on the roster that you can identify now. Um, and, and some of this, you know, goes to goes to Jeff Sims, like with a question I've been thinking about fairly frequently. Like, do we think he's going to have the best year of his career? Because if he does, that's obviously a very good thing for Nebraska. But his best year at Georgia Tech, in my opinion, as a passer, not even factoring in running the football, was 60 per, 60% completion, 12 touchdowns to seven interceptions. Like, you know, it's better to be positive in that, that TD to interception ratio, but probably not the gap like you would, you would like to see. And, and that doesn't mean that's, that's what we're, what's in store for this year. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a question. Can you avoid those turnovers? That's really been the big thing. We, you know, Nebraska's turnover history is, is pretty well documented at this point. It doesn't make any sense at one of at one at some year they're going to go crazy, like positive. And it's going to be hard to explain why. But the biggest piece of that has been, like, they just commit too many on offense. It's not about the takeaways. It's about the giveaways. Is there a healthy ratio of touchdowns to interceptions? Obviously, you're in an ideal world. You want zero interceptions. Three to to zero. Yeah. But (laughs) I don't think that's the reality of football. Do you think there is a – is two to one a a healthy ratio for touchdowns to interceptions? Or or what is a number for success for Jeff Sims if he can reach a a certain ratio of touchdowns to interceptions? Yeah, I think I think two to one's a like fair starting point, um, and I would I would have to go back and look. I'm gonna guess like that's Sims hasn't been at that point during his his Georgia Tech years. So you think about that, like that's kind of your like pretty good Big Ten quarterback. Like if you're like, yeah, they threw 20 touchdowns and 10 interceptions, be like, okay, two to one, like, you know you talk about somebody like Caleb Williams and I don't know his numbers off the top of my head either, but, or even some of those guys, like some air raid guys from the past or some people who are in a lot of passing offenses, like Colt McCoy to go way, way back was a really good example. Like that guy almost never threw interceptions. And when he did, like, I remember writing in 2009 going into that Nebraska, Texas game. I was like, Nebraska needs to force two interceptions here. And I think they got three in that game. They did. Um, and, and it, it gave them a chance to win because Colt McCoy almost never did that. In fact, I think he was eh, – don't quote me on this, but like I think he was close to undefeated if he threw fewer than two interceptions. So that's, you know, that's kind of where you're at. You get to three to one, four to one. It's like, okay, well, you're just kind of 
<laughs> you're you're in a video game offense at that point. So I think two to th- between two and three, like you're in a really good spot. Two is probably the minimum you need to have. I you you mentioned the Colt McCoy, Deshaun Gomes was your culprit. He was that good in the backfield, uh, defensive backfield for Nebraska. He had two of the three, I think. Problem is, Zach Lee handed three over of his own, and you ended up net zero. Think about that game, yeah. damn it, if if you go plus three in the turnover but, battle. I mean, Nebraska, though? It means Alex Henry's kicking and kicking and kicking, right? To, to, to Brandon's point, Nebraska had a quarter of Colt McCoy's interceptions that season in that one game. 12? He, he, threw, he threw 12. Uh, without Nebraska, he would have thrown nine. In his that career, 112 touchdowns to 45 interceptions, which was hurt by his sophomore year when he was 22 and 18. Everywhere else, he had better than a two to one ratio. And uh, actually, for two of his college seasons, he had better than a three to one touchdown to interception ratio. Well, Colt had a tear or two going down each cheek when Ohio State went into Austin and smacked them. I did relish that. <laughs> Vogues, we will uh, let you get back to it. We love you. And uh, we will talk to you Saturday morning. All right. Sounds good, guys. Looking Appreciate you. It. There See he ya. is. Brandon Vogel with us. Incredible work and uh, work ethic and uh, talent with Hale Varsity Magazine. And uh, him and Aaron Sorensen, Brandon Vogel, and uh, Brady Altman's. Uh, we'll talk to Brady tomorrow, but lots going on. We've kind of been centering around the spread and gambling stuff. Good story from CBS Sports Line.com on, on some trends for the college football season. But those. Numbers are just fascinating to reiterate with rule because it's going to be front and center two weeks from today, guys. Just what can you do? I I think Nebraska's got on paper right now. I mean, I love what upside there is with a guy in Sims at quarterback with this offense. I mean, I yeah, Minnesota's quarterback and Minnesota's offense is cautious but they're they're refined they they know what they are and there's a quarterback that's a returning starter one of few that's not a transfer guy in the big 10 west i mean minnesota may be the only spot that doesn't have a a portal quarterback this year in the league so uh that's something that that i know minnesota is going to hang their head on we'll wind down go ahead and say quickly i you love the upside of jeff sims i'm with you there the question to me is how much pressure is going to be on his shoulders this season in terms of doing everything for the this offense. Is, this is going to be different. In past years, it was Adrian do everything. All right. Uh, this year, it's like, all right, go make a play, but you've got some help. We'll wind down hour one with Hale Varsity. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Coming up in hour two, we'll keep a bit with the Fight Club theme. And the topic of how much do you run your quarterback, Gary Barnett, in 10 minutes. Jeremiah Searles, old Searles, going to be back with us. Husker offensive lineman extraordinaire, longtime NFLer. Reminder about your friends at Dyer Law and workers' compensation. Are you confused about the options of your workers' compensation claim? Is it, some t- is it something you need to investigate? Put your trust in the team at Dyer Law to help ensure that your rights are protected and that you get the settlement you deserve. Give Dyer Law a phone call today at 402-393-7529 or visit Dyer.Law to chat with a trusted professional about your workers' compensation claim. 
Dyer.Law, Dyer.Law, 402-393-7529. If I do a group field trip with you, Elijah, and you, Connor, and we drive on down to the old war horse, and we take mama's money, and we each get $50. Yes. Right? little allowance. How are you? How are you wagering two weeks out? You taking Minnesota and laying the points, taking the big red, and and grabbing the points. We'll just say right now, for fun, uh, two weeks away from tonight, as we'll be in Minneapolis at the graduate ahead of kickoff. Say Nebraska is getting seven and a half. We're gonna say seven and a half. That's where I'm gonna settle, right now. Mm. Mm. That's tough. That it's really tough that's because really tough. you've got some guys you're waiting to get updates on from Coach Rule Saturday morning. Who's healthy, who's available, who's ready to go. Can I do the cop-out and go under 46.5 points? You should no. take the under? Uh, I think I think that's you, – you watch this thing be a freaking shootout. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Even, even, for, even for, for these two teams. I, I think that is like the lock of the year. You're going to burn this tape, both of you. Under 46.5? That 46.5 is a lot of points for two teams that – there's we a lot can of points. I, no, I, to I, the think it's, I think it's an absolute lock that it's an under. I'll, I think this thing's 17 to 10, 17, 14. I'll, I'll, grab, I'll grab Nebraska covering the seven and a half point spread. I don't think they'll win, but I'll, I'll grab them covering that number. We've just built up and puffed up the cover number for Coach Rule. So I get it. I think they could cover, but not win. And I think it's going to be one of these turnover battle. You know, first team, I mean, to, first team to two turnovers the wrong way is, is going to cost I think you. this is going to be a one-score game most of the way. What I wonder about is how are those freshmen going to be able to come in and compete along the defensive well, yeah. line? Are, are those guys, the, the young guys that are, are stepping up, when the fourth quarter rolls around? How much you have around, to lean on them? Yeah, whenever, whenever Nash and Ty, whenever they've played 60 snaps all game, are those guys going to be able to come in in the fourth quarter and, and be able to hold their own? Because if not... I, I do worry about that line. That's where it comes down to for me. I think Nebraska should be able to keep it close, maybe even pull out a win, but that's if their defensive line can can stand the test through the fourth quarter. Well, you ask, if you asked me this question a week earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm probably gonna... not hesitating with a cover for Nebraska. Now I am a little bit because of that and what we've heard just like injury-wise, but... I'll, I'll, if it's seven and a half, I'll, I'll take Nebraska in the points. Two, two guys. We're, we're going to revisit. We're going to revisit next Thursday, and then we'll okay. all sit down and hug it out before kickoff. The two guys that influence my opinion is Marcus Washington going to be available? Yep. Is Teddy Prohaska going to be available? Those are two guys that swing a, my opinion. He had a fifty-fifty shot. One will, I think, one may not be. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. We'll dive into uh, fighting. And uh, practice. Coach Barney next. The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal. Back into it at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by Currency. We welcome in Hall of Fame coach Gary Barnett. Coach, we got to talk puppies and dogs for a minute. I know you got an addition to the family named Kramer. So is it after Tommy Kramer or Cosmo Kramer that he got his name? It's 
Cosmo Kramer. It's you know, we were just thinking of names, and I, I like I like Newman, I like Kramer, and I, you know, uh, we had a bunch of names in the mix. But when we got him, his hair was sticking straight up, and we said, "Oh, it's Kramer." <laughs> That's so. Good. He's a little guy. He's only about he's only about three pounds right now. Mm. He's eight or eight or nine weeks old, so he's not going to get very big. He's a Shih Tzu, but he's just cute as he can be. Well, and does he run the house already? Just being there a short time? Oh well, of course he does. You know he's, uh, but it, we're crate training him, so he's. It's easier to do it with crates and stuff than than it was before. So it'll be fun. But they, you know, as you know, pets make life better. Let me ask you more on Seinfeld. Do you have the infamous picture of Kramer up in your house? The the one where he's posing? No, no but there's a. Diff out there of Kramer, and uh, somebody sent that to us of him, you know, <laughs> acting like Cosmo Kramer. So that's funny. You know. Well, getting closer to, to football season here is social media has been lit up by the training camp fight heard around the college football world with the buffs and, and Dion getting after him. What was your policy with fighting during this preseason mode? My policy was it was a waste of time. We only have so many minutes left. Let's don't waste it pushing and shoving and doing stuff like that. So I would have had a different approach than Coach Sanders did, but you know, we're not the same. So, and actually I was at that practice and I must've left five minutes before that happened. Cause I didn't see it happen. I, I saw it again this morning, but, um, you know, you know, that kind of stuff, you just, uh, you know, it doesn't do anybody in my opinion, it doesn't do anybody any good. It meant there was three or four minutes that we wasted that we could have been getting better. That's mm-hmm. how many plays can you run in, in that amount of time. So, uh, but I get it. I get why he's doing it, and he's trying to put a team together. And and a part of putting a team together is building some sort of camaraderie. So I'm sure that's what he was thinking. Is there a legendary fight you remember, either as head coach or as an assistant, that that went on that shook the coaches to a point where you had to to really talk to the team about it? Well, there was two, <laughs> and uh, one of them, one of them was between two of my coaches. Oh, no. The, uh, we're doing a, a thud period. We're not in, in full pads. We're, we don't have the pants on. Mm. And we're doing sort of an inside thud period. And our center cuts a defensive lineman in shorts. And so our defensive line coach, Buddy Wyatt, gets really mad and goes off on our offensive line coach, Steve Marshall. So Marshall goes back in the huddle and calls the same play. Now I'm standing there watching this with a recruit and his grandmother and so they go back and they run the same play he cuts the defensive lineman again this time our defensive line coach goes throws himself across the line of scrimmage hits the offensive line coach in the jaw the offensive line coach's glasses come off they're fighting on the ground rolling around the defensive guys are egging on buddy wyatt the offensive guys are egging on steve marshall i'm standing there going are you kidding me i have never seen this in my life and so (laughs) finally they got the we pulled them apart and i said i'll see you guys in my office later on and they were sheepish they knew that was dumb but the kids got a got a thrill out of and and then and then we we had a fight between victor rogers and Tyler Brayton, and both of them are about six, seven, and about 300 pounds. And so 
I got in the middle of it to break it up, which is the number one rule of coaching, never get in the middle of a fight. And I know to this day, if Victor Rogers is listening, I know he punched me purposely. This was his chance. <laughs> he had a big roundhouse, and he decked me, man. And my eyes were watering. I couldn't see. The trainer walks over because he, he's expecting me to just fall over on the ground any minute. And, of course, there was total silence. But, you know, I didn't pass out and I didn't fall over. But I know every time I see Victor, I said, you know, I owe you a punch, buddy. But those are the two I remember. Coach Barnett with the standing eight count. I love it, man. You, you, you it get... was a standing eight count. I'll tell you, I didn't know where I was. Man, just to get smacked like that at six, seven, three bills, and that's a jaw. <laughs> I, I'm impressed, man. The art of fighting here. Coach Barnett with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Buddy Wyatt's name rings a bell. Wasn't he on Nebraska staff at some point? You know, he was at Kansas for a while. Yeah. He was with us at Northwestern, he was at Colorado, he was at A&M for a long time. I think he's at SMU now. But he was a great coach, as was Steve Marshall. They were both great coaches. You know, this was the 2001 year, so mm-hmm. but there it was, just one right at I couldn't believe it. I mean, there wasn't anything I could do. I'm just watching these two grown men fight on a football field in front of a recruit. So. Well, that's, uh, that's part of, of- – fall camp unfortunately where tempers flare you're sick of hitting one another i want to go to the the team building and the chemistry there's a clips going around and this may have been dated a little bit but it was coach saban and i just saw this on facebook he was talking about a story he heard from pete rose and the story was this and it was sparky anderson what made sparky such a great manager saban was relaying this you got to know when to pat him on the ass kick him in the ass and say nothing and was that um, challenge as, as being the head of a program, knowing when to, to encourage, knowing when to get on them, and then knowing when to just let it let it sit a little bit? It, it sort of organically sorts itself out, and it's part of you're playing a rough and tumble sport, and guys are going after it. And, you know, every once in a while, you know, things get out of hand a little bit. But you just, you just sort of handle it. I mean, I, I never had to stop practice and chew anybody's fanny out. But uh, it's uh, you just have it's sort of an art more than anything else. Gary Barnett with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Coach. Uh, Want to get your thoughts with uh, Nebraska here and uh, Minnesota's looming uh, two weeks from today, and we're wondering what exactly the offense can be good at it in in two weeks. The offensive line continues to to grind away. I think Nebraska really likes their running back room. Uh, very thin at wide receiver, uh, or at least known commodities compared to what was here a year ago. And then you have the, the Sims factor, and we're kind of leaning towards Sims may be a pretty big focal point that first game when it comes to being a, a rushing element or attack. What would you do, the offensive game plan with, with running the quarterback early in the year? Would you go all in or would you try and taper it? If I'm Nebraska, the name of my game is going to be physical football. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if I have what you just reported is on my team, uh, you know, the one thing an opening game team is not ready for us to get hit right in the mouth from the first play to the last play. And so that you can set the tone. If you can be that physical early on in the first game, if you can just rough up the other team, 
and because they haven't been, you, you know, you haven't practiced tackling that much. The, the most tackling you get in, in the whole year is in a game. And so uh, you, you don't tackle as much in a whole preseason as you do in one game. And so uh, making the other team, um, you know, get off the block and make a tackle uh, on whoever it is, uh, that's – you can control that dynamic. You're going to win the game. You're going to be close no matter who you're playing. So, you know, for me, if that's who Nebraska is, that's who I'm going to be the first game and the first play, and, you know, you better get ready for it is the way I'd look at it. Conversely, what what do you look at with TCU and the Buffs for that first game? What do you – see Colorado having as a strength and we'll get more into it here in a couple of weeks I know but just with uh, from the onset what what's impressed you with Colorado well I think Colorado's going to have a lot of skill uh, both sides of the ball and they're going to have to develop uh, uh, physical football inside uh, on offense and defense and so I think I think uh, TCU will test that TCU's got a lot of new players as well but I think they want to play a pretty physical brand of football. So I think two weeks in a row, the Buffs are going to have to line up and play pretty physically to win the game. I think between that game and the Nebraska game, it's going to be two pretty similar types team, type teams. I think TCU is going to throw the ball more, mm-hmm. and I think they are very skilled. They've got a lot of good receivers, so we'll see that. But uh, I still I do think that both both teams are going to play physical football. Numbers-wise, I, I know it's a, a complete roster flip. Do you like, from what you've been able to see, what the interiors are, or is it still a bit of a work in progress right now? I, that's still a work in progress, in my opinion. It's, it, and it usually always is, mm-hmm. unless you've got a real veteran group coming back and you've got seven or eight guys that have played a lot of football uh, together coming back on both sides of the ball, then it's still a work in process. I mean, there's, they have at least two more weeks of practice. So, you know, that's what they're going to try to do in the next two weeks. Gary Barnett's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. The Bill Conley FPI final, uh, make it S&P numbers came out, and you have uh, Georgia and you have Bama, you have Ohio State, Michigan, the, the top four. There's a little bit of a gap, Coach, between – uh, Michigan, I should say, Ohio State, and then LSU, and then there's Penn State and SC and Clemson and Florida State. Of those teams kind of outside the top four that we think are, are at least the four best preseason coming in, who do you like? Do you like what LSU could be? Is is Penn State sneaky good? Does Clemson get back? Maybe Texas is a conversation piece. Who's a, another team or two you like that could challenge for a playoff spot? You know, the funny thing, Chris, we could have had this same conversation 25 years ago. <laughs> That's it's true. It's the same team. It's the same teams. It's amazing. It's the same teams. Uh, I don't know. I've got to watch these guys play. You mm-hmm. know, two, two, two weeks worth of injuries, potential, and game opening game injuries. And, you know, you look at the first first week of the season, there are a lot of great matchups, but there are some good ones. Uh so uh, I don't know who to say uh, right at this point in time. And, uh, but I think it's just interesting that <laughs> there's the same teams we could have been talking about 25 years ago. I'm, I'm fascinated to see who has a bounce back season. And 
we I couch that by saying bounce back uh, in context with everybody else versus what's been ongoing. Clemson was ten and four last year. Bama was eleven and two. And I know that that you've got a new quarterback at Alabama, but uh, there are rising expectations. I'm anxious to see LSU just because I like Jaden a lot at quarterback. LSU had some big wins last year. And, Coach, I think folks are sleeping on Penn State a little bit. Their offensive line's pretty talented, uh, really good at at the running back spot. I know they got a high flyer at at quarterback that's a five-star. He's super young. But I, I think there's just this assumption that Penn State will be really good, but they're not going to get by Michigan or Ohio State this year. Well, I sort of agree with you. You know, I was looking at the freaks list yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they had 40, 40 of the freaks, you know, which are just guys with great strength, size, speed, just cut above everybody else. I think Penn State had three on that list. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I got to think that Penn State could be a sleeper and all this stuff, but you know, it's it, it, we'll just have to see how it folds. That's what's fun about it. You don't really ever know, but it's uh, uh, it, it's still the same teams, Chris, no matter what. Well, one of those teams, the, the Washington Huskies. What do you like about Kalen DeBoer in Penix? And that's another team, Washington, that could could make a push uh, to be in the playoff again. I love Washington. I love their offensive coordinator. You know, they had. They had, I saw a couple stats last year. Uh, in one game, they had 480 yards on first down. In one game. Wow. So, uh, you know, I, I uh, his name escapes me, but I met him last year when we played out there. And I've got two coaches that are coaching at Washington. But that is really a good football team. And Penix is really a good player. And that combination of – how that offensive coordinator calls plays and and DeBoer is just a terrific guy and I mean a really good coach so I like that team I they're the to me the second best team if not the best team in uh, in the Pac-12 I think they absolutely could be Gary Barnett with us Hale Varsity Radio Coach we'll get you out but uh, golf plans this weekend what are you doing with the barbecue thing we haven't talked barbecue in a while. Yeah, that's sort of been put on the back shelf. Uh, you know, the, the kids, when the grandkids come over, we, we uh, I did ribs once, but they're not a big barbecue rib. So, um, but a little golf this weekend, uh, club championship. I'm, I'm one of the also rands. So we'll play in that just to, just so I can play, but that's about it. So is your name on, uh, on the wall at all though in the club? Not in this club, no. No, other than I'm on the membership. (laughs) (laughs) There there we go. (laughs) Well, Coach, good luck to it. Thanks for talking some ball today. All right, Chris. Great being with you. Good stuff from uh, Coach Gary Barnett with us. Sale Varsity Radio will get caught up on Nebraska and the outlook from Mr. Jeremiah Searles, a longtime Husker lineman, NFLer, and uh, his take on the offense, offensive line, quarterback situation. Searles next with Hale Varsity were presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. 
Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio. Let's check in with our favorite Husker NFLer and agent, Jeremiah Searles, with us at Searles71 underscore HSKR. He is all set to roll. And Searles, what do you know, man? Two weeks from today, it's uh, time to roll the sleeves up. Yeah, no, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to be in Minnesota for that game. I'm excited to watch. I'm just excited to watch new football. I'm so tired of watching old tape and watching old games. And, I mean, it's, the preseason is just like this little titillating taste right on your tongue, right? You're just like, it's right there, but it's not really real. Like, it's not really real. Like, we're so close to Saturday and Sundays in the fall that are just the best. It is. 12 of them. And, you know, what makes you feel better about this year with Nebraska? Uh, where do you think the guys could look better? Yeah, you know, I think for me, the thing that makes me more excited and optimistic for this year is being around Coach Rule, seeing how he runs practice, seeing the standard that he holds guys accountable to, and just seeing the way that he's building his culture. You know, I, I know that culture doesn't always turn over to wins right away, right? It, it's not a, if we build the culture, then we will win right away, right? A culture is a long time to build. It takes years to get your guys in, to guys buy into your culture, but in the short stint that I've seen rule through the spring, through training camp, I do think that he's building the right culture. And so as the guys buy in, as the guys get used to it, and as they get developed more with a lot of the young guys that I saw, that's when we're going to have a lot of our success. And I do think we could see some early success this year just if guys stay the course and take care of the football. It's Jeremiah Searles with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Searles, culture has been a, a big buzzword all offseason long. And whenever you, you look at that culture, what, what do you think – I, I know I've already asked you before, what does good culture look like in this season? But what does that, that build of culture look like as the season goes on? Because you're not going to have it ready to go for game one. If this culture is still continuing to grow as the year goes on, what do you think that looks like? You know, I think that that's something that everyone's going to have to learn as they go, right? People now understand the culture that Coach Rule sets for spring ball. They understand the culture that Coach Rule sets for summer conditioning and for training camp. Now how does he handle it during the season, right? It's up to everyone to learn about that. They have to be able to be willing to say, hey, I'm going into this blind. You're going into this blind. Like We're going to grow and learn together how we game plan, how we prep throughout the week. What's the pregame ritual like? Like All of that stuff is going to be a learning curve and a learning experience that people on the outside don't understand. Like When you're going into a game week, it's a, it's a routine-based thing. You do the same thing 12 weeks in a row. But when you've never done that one thing with the coach, with the team, like it's a learning process. Right. And then how do you handle halftime adjustments? Right. How do you handle when blows up on the sideline? How do you come together and say, whoa, settle everyone? How do we like get up and down? Right. That's all a learning process that just takes time and reps. And when you only get 12 of them a year, you know, that's just something that's hard to replicate. So I do think there's going to be some grow in that. But I just want to see guys that don't, don't panic. That's my biggest thing. Can we talk about how Searles only three minutes in here and Searles is already making me use the delay dump button? That's I love not it. a bad word. That's not, not a bad word. Not on most podcasts, but when you're no, on the radio. Nah, that's fair. If you watch, my, if you watch the O-line committee, that's the least of the things. No, I, 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 I get it. It's, I not get a, it. Uh, it's not a bad word on a look in. It's, it's becoming less and less of a bad word, but not according to the FCC. It, so will, be, uh, it will be beaten uh, within an inch of our life if, if we have two of them in a year. So That's fair. That's, that's fine. No, you're that's, good. That's on me. No, that's you're, on you're, me. you're a Searles guesser. Get passionate about hey, it, all right? Good thing I am a great producer in here that is on top of my game i had the bleep ready to go and you, you nailed it so with the offensive line at this point in the season or the the, the preseason rather 
Do you have a feel on on what could be a strength or a bread and butter? Last time we talked earlier this summer, you know, what kind of run team can you be? That was a topic of discussion. Uh, Your lines at Nebraska were really good at at finding ways to to be pretty, you know, you were athletic, you were big, you could open holes between the tackles, but you also had backs that could get to the outside. So there was really a a pretty – various attack by your run game when you play. You know, looking at this offensive line and, you know, hearing some of the praises that are coming out of camp for the guys inside, right? Ben Scott, Nuri, Ethan Piper. Like, that makes me really think that we're going to want to be an inside run team, right? An inside A-gap type of run team, whether that's inside zone, whether that's power, whether that's a a mid-zone. Like, I think the strength of our line is obviously our middle three, so let's make sure that we run behind those guys. Not saying nothing against Ben Hart, nothing against Turner, nothing against those guys, but like I haven't heard as much like, man, look at the way those guys are rolling dudes off the ball. Right. So I think that we're gonna be more of an inside run scheme. And I think that we're gonna do it a lot because also Gabe Irvin and Anthony Grant are more power hitters. Mm-hmm. Right. They do have the chance to bounce it outside, but I think those guys are gonna be most successful when they just trust it inside, right? Four yard run, four yard run. And then that four-yard run turns into a six-yard run, and then the fourth quarter he breaks the tackle of a safety, and he's off to the races. I think that's going to be the recipe for success for this run game. I do think we'll sprinkle some stuff outside, whether it's a pitch play or a pin and pull, but I don't think we're going to make a living on the outside runs. How about quarterback run? Uh, what's the right number there? And, and Rule told us, listen, uh, it, it's going to be more – quality versus quantity that's my read into it you don't want each quarterback killed but you had a big dude that's a difference maker and can be in the red zone yeah you know i think i don't think he's going to have a ton of just true designed quarterback runs i think a lot of jeff sims runs are going to be off of reads and also off of just making things happen right like i think it's like a play breaks down and he's in the I mean, how many times do we see that with adrian and with taylor and with tommy right like they can just create right if it's man coverage and they send a blitz and all of a sudden the receivers are running and all of a sudden everyone's back's turned. He can put his foot in the ground and gain 15, 20, 30 mm-hmm. yards, right? I think you'll see a lot of that. I don't necessarily think you're going to see a lot of like QB powers, QB sweeps, like those type of things because we have such a good running back room. Like let those dudes take the beating, right? Those dudes are, that's what they're built for. That's what you pay them their money for. Like that's fine. I think that you're right. In the red zone, you might see a couple gadget more of because when you have the quarterback run, you gain an extra blocker. Right, so you can have some more leverage on those things, but I think just out in the open field, it's going to be more of a creative, or if he has a good read to pull it and run. So, would you say, Searles, and your guy with experience here, that that Jeff Sims, his utilization in the offense is going to be more Josh Allen than Lamar Jackson, or, or maybe you have a better NFL comparison there in terms of what Jeff Sims could be for this offense in terms of utilization? But whenever I think of less designed quarterback run, you know what, you got man coverage backs returned, you're going to take off. That reminds me of Josh Allen. Yeah, you know, I think. Yeah, that's – I'm trying to think of a good comparison. You know, I want to say that that's probably a good one, yeah, where it's not designed, but he can just make stuff happen, mm-hmm. right? He just creates, you know, kind of like the early Cam Newton days. Sure. Right, the early Cam Newton or even Andrew Luck, right? Like Andrew Luck was a great one where you didn't anticipate him taking off, but all of a sudden he took off and run, and you're like, oh, dude's got some wheels. Sneaky athletic, then, right? But then he ended up dying because he got hit a hundred billion times, right? But, like, yeah, I think that's a good comp of a Josh Allen. He does, definitely doesn't have the arm of Josh Allen, but that's neither here nor there. Not many do. Yep. Jeremiah yeah. Searles with us, Hale Varsity Radio, uh, talking to Coach Barnett about fights. And I want to go there because uh, social media was in love with the Buff Rumble yesterday. Was there a uh, 
no holds barred, uh, Royal Rumble type moment from your time at Nebraska between the oh, offense yeah. and defense. Tell me about oh. the, a memorable fight. Spring ball 2011, 2010. Spring ball 2010. It started during one-on-ones, right? O-line and D-line got chippy during one-on-ones. There was a few bright, like fights during the one-on-one period, and Bode came over and was like, none of that anymore, none of that. Right, and so then all of a sudden we get to the next team period, and Kenny Bell catches a ball over the middle, and Harvey Jackson just just kills him, right? <laughs> Bang, right, then just murders him. So you see all five O linemen run over to Harvey, and we just start kicking the crap out of him. Like I, I remember Spencer's like hammer fisting on the face mask, <laughs> like Quali's trying to drag a leg off, and then it was just mayhem. Right? And you? I mean, and you? Oh yeah, I was. I was on. I was. I mean, I was think I was jumping on top of everyone. Okay. Right. And then it was just full melee, right? Whole bench clears, offense, defense. It's just it's just a mayhem. We finally get it all broken up and Bo kicks Kenny and Harvey out of practice. Then he kicks all the media out of practice and he's like, You guys just want to fight, huh? Fine, we'll just pencil roll. And we ended up pencil rolling like seven hundred <laughs> yards. People were throwing up everywhere, like Brandon Kenny wasn't right for like three days. Like, and we never had another big melee fight after that because Bo's like, fine, you want to waste my practice time? Then we'll just roll. We'll just roll. We'll just roll and roll and roll. And like, you're rolling. He didn't stop you. If you like got off track, you just kind of like rolled into the wall and then you had to get back up. Oh, it was miserable. Yeah, I'll never forget. This would have been a year later. Uh, I came and watched practice. Patrick Pliny was on my youth football team. So we got to go watch practice once a year. And that was Michael Rose's freshman year is red shirt year and there's goal line activity uh going down so it's like inside the five yard line a lot of power run and i think it was kenny yeah. bell hit a crackback block on him that he took exception to and a mini melee started until the coaches start yelling something about there's kids here you guys really going to do this in front of the kids <laughs> and uh that seemed to break it up pretty well and michael was i used steam and heading to the side but uh, that was my my one time seeing a college football fight and being like i'm not sure i'm built for this did did carl ever get after the offensive coordinator or O-line coach. Oh, Barney, Barney, Barney and Carl. And, yeah, Barney, tell me this. Barney and Carl almost went to blows many a time. Who are you right? betting on? I mean, in that time, Barney. Now, not Barney. Right? <laughs> Barney's broken now. I love Barney, but he's broken. But like back then, Barney was like, don't you ever yell at my guys. Like He'd get after him and they'd be belly bumping. And yeah, they, they got after it. Kaz and Garrison got after it a couple times. Kaczynski and Garrison got after it a little bit my senior year. How about that? Um, Who are you betting on there? I'd have Garrison probably. I don't know. They're both crazy. Like they both <laughs> would be biting and scratching and clawing and like one pull a shank out from somewhere. Like <laughs> from socks. they're both they're both yeah they're both nuts. But yeah, the coaches definitely got after it a little bit too. Searles, was there anyone on the team that you know what if uh, if a brawl was going to get underway, you were going to avoid the hell out of them because you knew you were going to get beat up? No. When you have a helmet on, you're you're indestructible. When you have a helmet and you're 320 pounds, like what's going to hurt you like seriously like and that was kind of the mentality he was always like yeah i mean i'm the biggest one out here like nothing's going to hurt me now in a fist fight street fight yeah there's plenty of guys that i wasn't going up against but helmet <laughs> on everything everyone's game what about sue did he throw people around i watched i mean i watched sue sue punched someone in the back of the head and knocked him clean out cold one game and he woke up as he hit the ground so and then they sent him on a lap, and then he came back and finished practice because Bo was like, "I need him." So yeah, Sue could uh, Sue could fight with the best of them. Huh. How about NFL training camp? Only in the joint practices. 
They, they always happen in the joint practices, and it's always day two. It's always day two because here's what happens. In day one, you go into camp, and everyone's like, hey, no fighting, we're here to get better, yada, yada, yada. And then like something happens during camp where the offense has a better day or the defense has a better day or whatever it is, and then you get into meetings that night. And your coach is just like, oh, so we're just going to let them walk all over us, huh? Yeah, we're just going to let them. You, they, yeah, we're just going to let them practice. It's not about us. It's about them, right? And so the coach just kind of gasses you up. And then you go out there day two, and it starts to fester. And all it takes, it's just a powder keg. Like, one, like you've seen it. It's just one extra shove. Like, it's not like a big deal. It's like one extra shove and then game on. We had a big fight in Cincinnati. Adam Thielen tried to fight Pac-Man Jones. And we were all like, Adam, you don't, you don't want those problems, buddy. Like, that dude, <laughs> that dude will rip your teeth out. Right, and we all kind of like pulling Adam away because we're like, we don't want you to die. We need you this year. But like, yeah, that was the big fight against Cincinnati. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Jeremiah Searles with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Searles, uh, when we look at, at Minnesota and Nebraska, back to to two weeks from today. Mm. Yeah, what what type of game do you think this is going to be is this thing going to be a 17 14 deal we'll revisit obviously before kickoff but i'm just wondering here is nebraska early on gonna have to be leaning on the defense or do you think there's enough with the offense they can maybe even go heavy with a couple tights and two backs i mean minnesota's gonna want to play minnesota football which is boring control the clock stay ahead of the sticks football Right, And I think that that's what they're going to come out and try and do because they're not real sure what Tony White's going to have for them. Like mm-hmm. They do have a slight advantage that they played Syracuse in the bowl game last year. Mm-hmm. right? So they, they have seen this defense. you know. But it's going to be a completely different defense with different bodies, guys everywhere. So I think they're just going to try and come out and be like, hey, we're just going to run what we do well, which is just zone and RPO. right? Just mm-hmm. mid-zone, mid-zone, RPO. Mid-zone, RPO. But I think if we can get them behind the sticks with creating negative plays, then I think we'll have a chance. I do think that this is going to be a probably like 17 to 21 game mm-hmm. just because the possessions are going to be limited, right? It's, this isn't going to be a back and forth shootout just because that's not how Minnesota plays football, right? I do think that with our offense, we're going to cause some issues for them just because their up front isn't great this year. They have a really good secondary, but mm-hmm. their front seven is young. But I do think the strength of their offense is their running back room. So the running back room, they have a mobile quarterback. So I do think they're going to have a chance to, to make some things happen. But again, they're just going to keep it very, very vanilla, very boring. How conservative do you anticipate Nebraska's offense being? Or is that even a concern right now? Because you've got, you got an athlete like Sims. I would assume you'd, you'd, you'd let him do his thing. But you you, you got to worry about turnovers at the quarterback spot. It's been an issue for Nebraska for a long time. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think you, we're not in a position to hold anything back, right? I think we're in a position that we, we got to empty the clip, right? If we're going to go out and win every single week, we're going to need everyone at their best firing on all cylinders. And that just means putting Jeff Sims in good situations, right? We don't want Jeff Sims throwing the football 50 times a game, right? That's not a winning formula for Nebraska. If he can throw it between 18 and 25 times a game and be in that 15 to 17% or 17 completions, mm-hmm. that's a win, right? That means that we controlled the clock, we threw on third down, and they were good balls. But as soon as we get him thrown 30, 35 times a game, then that's not a good recipe for Nebraska. It's Jeremiah Searles with us here on Hale Varsity Radio, two weeks out from kickoff between Minnesota and Nebraska. And Searles, whenever you look at that game, just tell me from, from our vantage point now, two weeks out, which position group do you think is going to have the most pressure on them to go have a good game? The type of position group where Nebraska is really, really going to struggle to get a W should that position group struggle? D-line. D-line, man. I mean, against Minnesota, they are a 
smash mouth up front. We know we're going to run the football. You know we're going to run the football. Stop it. And, you know, looking at our defensive line, we have some good bodies up there, but our depth is going to be tested and tested early. And it's young depth, right? It's not proven depth. Like, yeah, we've seen them in training camp, but what do they do when the lights is on and everyone's watching, right? Like, that's going to be a position group because I have a lot of faith in our linebacker and core. You know, I have a lot of faith in that DB group, which is weird for me to say because I hate DBs. But that D-line group's <laughs> got to be willing to step up and, and hold on to make sure that those linemen aren't getting free runs out of there. How can Tony White and the other guys in that defense, the linebackers in the defensive back room, as you said, how can they take some pressure off of that defensive line? The biggest thing is if they get a chance for a TFL, they can't miss, Ooh. right? If you get a chance and you get a clean shot and you, you're blitzing and you get a clean, like you can't, you can't allow an, a missed tackle for a TFL, right? If you get a chance to get them behind the sticks, get them down, no missed tackles, like that's going to be a big thing to help take some pressure off that defensive line. Searles, we'll talk uh, closer to kickoff. Thanks for making time, dude. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. Go Big Red. Good to spend time with Jeremiah Searles. Podcast for you. If you miss Coach Barnett or want to get caught up again, or with Jeremiah Searles, Brandon Vogel, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play with Hale Varsity Radio. Can rewatch the show, the Hale Varsity Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio. Give that a follow. Hale Varsity YouTube. Going to be posted just shortly after the show. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark. Pretty good uh, lineup and story here from ESPN.com. Best case, worst case scenarios. We'll dive into that with Nebraska tomorrow. But they have their top 25 teams listed. And you have some some high aspirations for a team like Wisconsin. They come in at number 19. That's a, another opponent for Nebraska. We'll see how long they stay an opponent with the new Big Ten divisionless schedule. But one more rodeo for Nebraska in Madtown this year. It's not been good for the Big Red against Wisconsin. This is pretty interesting. Fickle is going to have the air raid or dairy raid, as some of the Wisconsin fans are calling it. You have 18 starters back. You've got a very competent quarterback in uh, the SMU transfer, Mordecai. Mordecai. And, and then you got Braylon Allen, who's fantastic. So the range right now for Wisconsin is this dream season of 12-1, of 11-2. But they could have a floor of of a seven and five or even seven and six again. That got Chris ran out of town, and you circle the worst case being this stretch. How does it work out? Iowa is the leadoff here, but you have a three week stretch, guys, of Iowa, Illinois, Ohio State consecutively for Wisconsin. Uh, best case, they win them all. Uh, two and one, very respectable. One and two, you're not going to sneeze at. You go over, and then there's some some doubt there with the new system. Fickle's been good though in his career. How does that grab you with Wisconsin? Are you more to likely? To, I would I would hedge between both and say a nine and three regular season for him. I still think that's. They're also at Washington State. That's early yeah. in the year. I I would say probably eight is the you highest I'm willing for, to for go. Right now. Mm. I I don't I just don't understand like twelve wins with Wisconsin this year. 
No way. Seemed, yeah, that no seemed, way. But let's be honest. Ten wins, maybe. What, what's, I mean, what's, what's killed Wisconsin? It's not been their defense. It's not been their run game. It's been when they've gotten behind. It's, it's been when their quarterbacks had to make a play. They've just not had quarterback play against some of the teams that they're like, i.e. the Illinois or the Iowas, and they don't. They haven't done what they've done early in the Bielema era, and that's win those big home games against an Ohio State or a Penn State when they come to town. They I mean, just haven't done well in the crossover. They're not beating Ohio State. Let's just cross that off the list I right think now. all 11 games they should be favored in. All the other 11 games that they have on the schedule. Aside from Ohio State? Aside from Ohio State, they should be favored in all 11. Do they get Iowa at home? I think they do. Okay. They get Iowa at home. They have to go and play at Illinois. That could be tough. You get Ohio State at home. He got rocked a year ago in Camp Randall by Illinois. I think Illinois is going to be tough to beat for a lot of teams, but I think they're more susceptible this year. They're younger just, be- this year. just because of what they lost on defense. I mean, Wisconsin's road games are Minnesota. I'm going backwards here. Minnesota, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Purdue, and Washington State. Very manageable road schedule. You get your tough games at home. And I, mean, I, th- I think they're going to be favored over Iowa. Mm-hmm. At home. Yeah, if they're that, at home, probably. That's the one remaining game on there. I go, well, that's probably a, a close one. Washington State's the other toss-up, but I think they're probably going to be favored there as well. I think little, they're going to be favored in 11 games. I, I feel like there's just that. something, I don't know, maybe this is just me. I just feel like there's something missing. Well, I, it's just going to be weird and different. How yeah. how can they handle it's, this new it's offense? How quickly can they get that new offense installed? Because yeah. they have the talent to execute it. Ohio State, their best case is winning a title finally. They have three road games, Notre Dame at Wisconsin, at Michigan. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time, Hale Varsity Radio. Good stuff Thursday. Brandon Vogel, Gary Barnett, Jeremiah Searles, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark. Reminder, to get buckled up, one of every three fatal crashes in Nebraska involves an alcohol-impaired driver. Why? Take chances if you drink. Don't drive a message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office, ceiling and floor. What we're talking about with some of these uh, teams that are per- perhaps trendy to, to dive in on or could be a, a big boom if you uh, go all in on, say, a uh, year one in Wisconsin. 9-3, uh, and 10-2. Dare we say 7-5 and five for the Badgers. No way. We were looking at Ohio State. They're... Well, ceilings that national championship. They've been in the playoff a ton. They vanquished Clemson, and then Bama did him in. That was a few years back. They uh, didn't have enough time left on the clock. Otherwise, they gave Georgia everything the dogs wanted a year ago in that semi. Mm-hmm. But this is a tough call for Ohio State with a new quarterback. They've been magic breaking in new quarterbacks. You've got roadies to Notre Dame at Wisconsin, at Michigan. You still have Penn State also on the schedule. So Ohio State, dare we say, a 9-3 and three year for the Buckeyes. I, I don't know that they go there. LSU, 10-4, and four, the win over Bama last year, a, a trip to the uh, SEC championship game. Their dream season would be getting into the playoff, back to the playoff with Brian Kelly. The reality slap, fellas, 8-5, and five, check out this schedule. Again, they'll take on Florida State. They'll have a trip to the Grove and Ole Miss. They have Bama in Tuscaloosa. That rivalry, the boot against A&M. And then there's the bowl game because they'll be likely in a New Year's Day bowl. 
perhaps. So LSU, do they backtrap? I don't think so with their quarterback. Uh, I think uh, Jaden Daniels is is every bit as good as there is in the SEC. Really, really good quarterback and the transfer from Arizona State. Bama, does Saban slip to three losses this year? Do they sweep Texas? They're at A&M. They open up and host Texas the third week of the year. For them, what's their quarterback situation going to be this year? They've season? got three choices of guys everybody wanted in college Look. football. They, they host LSU. And they also host Tennessee this year. Any quarterback that is thrown into a situation at Alabama is going to be fine. <laughs> I mean, what, like, what, it's the same thing we're, with Ohio State. Well, like, like, what, like, what are we doing here? Saban, like, seriously. We're going to play this when, when Bama's five. I'm kidding. They're not going to be five and three. But just say, remember, I remember 21 years ago, the lead on college game day was Red Alert, Nebraska has lost two games, right? The 7-7 seven and seven season before you two were born, probably. You guys were bouncing oh, around. Infant, yeah. yeah, you were an innocent infant. But th- that's that was the, the tone. That was the story of college football. Nebraska's lost their magic. They're unranked. Well, Bama's not going to go that far back. No. But, but, they, but they, they looked mortal. They looked like, mortal last year. Bama didn't look like and, the Bama that we've grown accustomed and, and, to. Last and they year. looked mortal last year. They lost with Will two Anderson games on the road. and Mr. Young. They're the best quarterback and edge rusher in college football. Two of the top three picks. And what happened with all of that? With all of that, they they still they won a tight one at Texas, right? Then they lost two ball games. They usually win. In the last second against Tennessee. I'm just saying. I think any quarterback A&M. that's thrown into that situation out of that room is going to be fine. We need to hit this topic again tomorrow because I think Excuse Iowa. Excuse me, it was LSU, not Tennessee. Iowa has a really fun floor and ceiling debate, so I think we need to get back into yeah. this tomorrow. We'll get to Iowa, floor and ceiling, best case, worst case. We'll dive into the big red. Find us at four tomorrow with Hale Varsity. Thanks. A Huda Media Production.